The Lord is with you. Lift up your hearts. Grace and peace to you this Lord's Day. Our congregation present in the nave of Marsh Chapel at 735 Commonwealth Avenue in the city of Boston. Our congregation present in New England through National Public Radio, WBUR 90.9 FM. Our congregation around the globe present through webcast and podcast through our website, www.bu. Dot edu forward slash chapel. Together this day we celebrate the gifts of faith, life, and love. So we are happy to welcome back today the Reverend Randy Day for his second time with us. Randy is the pastor at First Church of Round Hill in Greenwich, Connecticut, and a former General Secretary of the General Board of Global Ministries of the United Methodist Church. So he brings a wealth of experience, both domestic and international. This is his last Sunday with us today, and so we've had a wonderful lunch this last week and a good time together. And we wish him and Emily and their five children, Jesse, Josie, James, Thomas, and Greg, who have been with us either in person or in spirit this week. And we wish them traveling mercies as they go back to Greenwich, Connecticut. And again, a particular greeting to our brothers and sisters at First Church of Round Hill in the new connections that we have made through Reverend Day's time with us. We are very grateful. So the Marsh Chapel Choir and Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Congregation at Boston University, and Dean Robert Allen Hill, invite your support, prayerful and material. Invite your presence, actual and virtual, as we celebrate in the love and worship of God. So now, dearly beloved, rise up. Now and throughout this service in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, as we praise God in our opening.
Let us pray together. Almighty God, through your only Son, you overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Grant that we who celebrate our Lord's resurrection by the renewing of your spirit, arise from the death of sin to the life of righteousness. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. God invites us to a time of silent confession during the singing of the Kyrie. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A lesson from Paul's epistle to the church in Rome. Chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? He will bring any charge against, rather, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. 
Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In response, let us say verses from Psalm 105 with the antiphon. Thanks to the Lord. 
call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength and his present presence continually. Remember the wonderful works he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of his servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He is mindful of his covenant forever, of the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Jacob, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. And now, people of God, rise up for the singing of the Gloria Dei, the reading of the Gospel, and the singing of our hymn number 140. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31 to 33 and 44 to 52. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven 
is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, set down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil and the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all of this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord.
Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of the shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. The message here is clear. The beginnings of God's kingdom are small, but God being God, they will grow to maturity. Now I want to call attention to one phrase in this very short parable, which I think is seldom mentioned as we tend to focus and even fuss about the size of the mustard seed. The phrase is this, someone took the seed and sowed it in his field. The seed is essential, of course, but the action taken was also critical. A seed sitting around in a house, a barn, or a store is of limited use. It needs to be sown in the soil. God's kingdom calls us for action, prayerful participation, not just busy work. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until it was all leavened. I've heard countless sermons about the importance of yeast, yet it was the woman who took the yeast and mixed it in. Action was taken. The kingdom of heaven, my friends, is not a self-cleaning oven. It requires us to do things. It requires us to plant, to bake, to pray, to advocate, to heal, to touch, to love. The gospel is calling us to take action on world hunger. Some of you are old enough to remember that this was a huge challenge for the world in the 1970s. This is true. Today, food costs around the world have reached their highest level in real terms in three decades, causing food riots and starvation in some of the world's poorest countries. At a three-day UN conference in Rome last month, delegates recognize this crisis. While unable to address all of the related issues, they did call on countries and financial institutions to provide more food immediately for the poorest of the poor in the world. They called for an increase in agricultural production. Lenart Page, who's president of the International Fund of Agricultural Development, a UN agency, said, I think there is momentum that is unique over the last 25 years. When did you have heads of states coming together to talk about seeds and fertilizer? He has a point. Much of the world has been ignoring the hunger crisis. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, is the attitude of many. Conferences and statements and sermons are needed now to focus once again the world's attention 
on the fact that millions and millions of children are dying of malnutrition and hunger. Immediate relief is needed, but we also need long-term sustainable solutions. Crop yields have remained stagnant, for instance, for decades on the continent of Africa. Now is the time to change this. Providing small farmers with seeds and fertilizers is widely recognized as a key step to take. World leaders have warned all of us that the soaring global food prices could cause a silent tsunami that could throw 100 million people into poverty and hunger, 100 million. Food riots in Haiti and Afghanistan and West Africa could start occurring in other regions around the world. Hunger has been a consistent companion of the poor for a long time. It never went away. It just stopped being in the news. It stopped getting sermon time and lecture time. I'm sure that many of you have seen hungry people here in the United States or in your travels around the world or in your home country, if that's another country. Perhaps a friend or colleague has confided in you and told you about when they were hungry. Perhaps you have been hungry. Hunger is something that affects real people. Our daughter Josie came to our family three years ago this month. Although she had never been to school a single day in her 11 years, she had more life experience than most of us. We certainly did not know all of her stories when she arrived, but we've heard many of them by now. She's a remarkable young woman who wants to be a doctor so she can return to her home country of Haiti and practice there. I remember the first time that Josie went to my former office in New York City. It was a quiet Saturday. We were dashing in so I could pick up some documents. As I was going through papers on my desk, she circled the office. Asian hats, African carvings, a bright Haitian painting, shelves, books, maps. She was first drawn to family photos. And then she became very excited, talking for the first time since we entered the office. Dad, Dad, she says, I've had these. They're fun. I looked up from my papers, and I saw that she had found a Haitian dirt pie that I kept on a coffee table as a stark reminder to me of the hunger that exists in Haiti. It's a sun-baked clay patty about the size of an adult hand. I started to reply to her with my brain. These dirt pies are made of clay and with a dash of salt, sometimes a dash of sugar if they can find it. Adults give them to children to dull the hunger pain. Josie, there's absolutely no nutritional value in this pie. I keep this as a conversation starter here at the headquarters of the, the mission headquarters of the United Methodist Church, hoping to build alliances so we can develop a sustainable economy so that Haiti can finally feed itself. My heart, however, trumped my brain. I said nothing. I felt tears in my eyes as I comprehended that our daughter had been among those 
hundreds of thousands of Haitian children who sometimes go for days without real food. Hence, for Josie, a dirt pie was fun. It had soothing connotations for her. A UNICEF report states that malnutrition is rarely regarded as an emergency. The children affected are not facing famine and betray few or no obvious signs. Yet the largely invisible crisis of malnutrition is implicated in more than half of all the child deaths worldwide and violates children's rights in profound ways, compromising their physical and their mental development and helping to perpetuate poverty. More widespread than many suspect, with one out of every three children worldwide affected, malnutrition lowers their productivity and the abilities of entire societies. One of the main causes, of course, of malnutrition is poverty. Children in impoverished situations often lack nutritious diets because the necessary combination of foods are not always available or affordable. Especially in rural areas, families largely depend on rice or millet or yams or corn, little else. These foods serve the purpose of filling the stomach, enabling children to sleep through the night without crying for food. There are other cases around the world, and I have witnessed some of them, where in cases of starvation, parents in their final desperation use the seeds they are saving for the next planting season to feed the crying, dying children. A very tough choice to make. Our parable tells us that action is needed for the kingdom of God to be fulfilled. Understanding that poverty and hunger and malnutrition are both cause and effect is critical, but we must move beyond the analysis. My summer reading has included Commonwealth by Dr. Jeffrey Sachs, who is the director of Earth Institute at Columbia University and the author of The End of Poverty. I hope you've read that. The book is loaded with action and workable solutions, so I highly recommend it to you for your second half of summer reading list. Easy for you to remember Commonwealth, like Commonwealth Avenue. You'll find it in all the bookstores, or go to the library. Dr. Sachs writes, ending the trap of extreme poverty is one of the great challenges of sustainable development. The central solution to ending extreme poverty is to empower the poor with improved technology so that they become productive members of the world economy. The central problem is that the extreme poor are unable to purchase those very technologies on their own. They lack their own savings. They lack credit worthiness to borrow. The result, then, is a poverty trap in which poverty keeps vital even life-saving technology out of the reach of the poor. And the lack of technology keeps the poor unproductive 
and condemns them to continued poverty. He also describes four very important priority areas where improved technologies are already widely used around the world, but not by the extremely poor. The first one is high-yield agriculture, including seeds and fertilizers, which we've mentioned. And then educational technologies and healthcare technologies, which I talked about last week, and modern infrastructures. All of these go together, and when they come together, there can be and there will be a significant rise in productivity, and thereby the people will be able to join the economic growth of the rest of the world. This is not a beach novel, but if you read it, I assure you, you will find hope and your spirits will be climbing up there because he talks about success in global cooperation. It's not all doom. There's a lot of people in the world say we can't do anything. We're frozen by inactivity. What can we do? The world's done some successful things such as the international support to fight infectious diseases and to stop smallpox, to wipe out, nearly wipe out measles, and now to go after malaria and AIDS and other diseases. And we've done the same in agriculture in times past, which I'll say more about in just a moment. But let me say that the, the earth, this very earth, is God's gift to us. We celebrate its beauty as we drive about New England or fly over the Rockies or the Andes or the Alps. We enjoy being close to the earth, do we not? Picking blueberries in Connecticut as our family does every summer, or stopping at a farm stand or walking past a hay field. Our great cities are striving to have more green space, and that's great. When we participate in or we witness growth from the earth, an urban garden, an orchard, a vast field, we sense the power of the seeds of heaven and the seeds of earth. Miracles happen. In 1985, I helped organize a group of United Methodists in the New York area to visit war-torn, drought-stricken Mozambique, one of my favorite countries. I've been back many times. It was in a very difficult situation then. And we went about, the first group that come in for a long, long time. It's hard to get there. So they were happy to receive us. They were so gracious, took us around. We saw the hunger. We saw the war. We heard the fighting. It was, the country was having a hard time. We were in a small bus, and with our Mozambican friends, there were probably, I think there were 17 of us, and my job was to sort of get everyone back on the bus. Did you ever have that experience? And, but I wasn't very good at counting, so Bishop C. Dale White, who enthusiastically joined our group to go, sort of did the shepherd thing. You know, bishops are shepherds, so he'd stand and he'd count everyone. We'd get the 17 back on the bus. I was usually the last one talking to somebody. But I remember at one place, a large mission area where they had a lot of things going on, that we got back to the bus and I counted. And we came up one short. Well, who's missing? We started looking all around and someone said, it's the bishop. We lost the bishop. So I went back. He wasn't in the school, which was a fine school. He wasn't at the clinic, looked around. There he was. He was in the agricultural uh, experiment station. Telling, and when I went up to him, he started telling me about the French intensive agricultural method, which I knew nothing about, still don't know a whole lot about. He was all excited. He'd been a pastor and superintendent in Rhode Island, the Bishop of New York, but he was still the farm boy from Iowa, and he loved understanding about the soil and the seas. And both Dale and Gwen White have taken 
countless mustard seeds and other types of seeds, and they've taken them to the field, and they've planted them, and miracles have grown. And some of you have done exactly the same thing. Keep doing it. Some of you are late starters, but have faith. Your time is coming. We need you now. Jeffrey Sachs challenges us to think differently about Earth's resources. Consider this. It's opposite of what many people are telling us. He says the world is facing enormous ecological and environmental problems, but running out of natural resources is not the right way to describe the threat. He says that Earth has the energy, the land, the biodiversity, and the water resources needed to feed all of humanity and support long-term economic prosperity for all. That's great news. That's great news. Dr. Sachs gives us a wealth of practical and hopeful suggestions. The escape from extreme poverty, he writes, requires basic types of investment, leading to a boost in productivity, especially in agriculture. This is the hallowed green revolution that initially lifts that smallholder farmer out of subsistence. Fertilizer and high-yield seeds, he points out, have a spectacular rate of return. So we have the earth, we have the seeds, we have all the needed components. We need then to use our political power as citizens of this country or whatever country and as international citizens to immediately scale up and address this problem. Lives will be saved if we do that. God's kingdom also has a spectacular rate of return as long as we act. Add the yeast, do the mixing, Take the mustard seed, go to the field, and sow it. It is noted in Commonwealth that it's often the foundation sector, the business sector, and academia, where the real solutions are first pioneered, and some of you may be involved in those. The Rockefeller Foundation, for example, was an early champion of high-yield varieties that became the Green Revolution in the 1960s and afterwards. As a young student, university student in the Philippines, I went to their, their famous uh, command center in Los Banos, the Philippines. This is where IR-8 was developed, miracle rice that saved millions upon millions of lives throughout Asia, Indonesia being a prime example. A final note about Jeffrey Sachs' new book. He proposes seven global funds. I'm not going to read them all to you. You know about the global fund to fight AIDS and TB and malaria. He's also proposing that we have a global fund for an African green revolution. This fund would put the focus on expanding sustainable agriculture in the low-income countries of sub-Sahara Africa. It would put emphasis not only on the high-yield seeds, but on high efficiency of water use and sustainable land management practices. I believe in my heart and my brain that people of faith ought to consider rallying around this idea. The Green Revolution of the 1960s and the 1970s 
did much to stop, to stop starvation and malnutrition in Asia, the Earth's largest continent. Now is a time for us to work with our African sisters and brothers to have some miracles on that continent. We have the seeds. It's time. It's time to go to the field and plant. One of my fond memories of growing up in rural central Illinois is that of my grandfather Lloyd Bell sowing oats by hand. I think it was oats, might have been wheat. He farmed 99.9% of his farm with big machinery and tractors, all the things that would fascinate a young grandchild. But there was, however, this one small field adjacent to the farmhouse, hardly large enough to maneuver a tractor and a large planter. And I remember that one day my grandfather tied these cloth uh, sacks around his waist, and they were full of seeds. And he walked briskly through that field, sowing these oats with his hand. The seeds were just flying through the air, and I was fascinated as a child. I did wonder how he could do it evenly, if he was doing it evenly, but weeks later I climbed up on a wooden fence and I looked at the green field and there were no bare spots. Yes, he was efficient, he was accurate, but as I recall that spring day of long ago, I sense in my heart that my grandfather loved the feel of the seeds in his hands, in his hands. And those of you who are farmers or gardeners know what I'm saying, don't you? Picking up seeds and letting them run through your fingers or moving them from one hand to the other gives you a sense that you're holding life, you're holding hope, you're holding joy. The seeds of heaven and the seeds of earth are real. They are God's gift to us. And when enough seeds are planted, the children of the world will no longer be hungry. I leave you with this story. It's from Rio de Janeiro, where I visited a few years back after spending a long day up in the favelas and the steep mountains visiting clinics and schools. I was back down in the central city walking back to my hotel with aching feet, but, but I was full of things I had seen and I stopped at a sidewalk cafe you know, the type of tables and umbrellas over them, kind of for the tourists. And I sit down, I ordered coffee to rest my feet and to start taking notes about what I had witnessed that day. And three young children approached me with some rolled up newspapers. No, I didn't want to buy newspapers. Well, they unrolled the newspapers and inside these cones were peanuts. Well, I didn't really want to buy peanuts either, but these children were persistent. Two girls, I'm guessing about nine and seven, little boy, I'm sure their brother, who was probably five at best, very persistent. And suddenly I had an idea. I didn't really have time to think about it. Maybe it wasn't an idea, but something moved me. I invited them to sit down. I, I had a table for four. There was just one of me. I called the waiter over and I asked for menus. He was not happy. Oh, he was not happy. I'm sure that he had run those children out many times, at least on that day and probably days before. But I insisted, and places were set, and menus were read in Portuguese, and each child ordered something, and pretty soon three large plates of spaghetti arrived. The food was eaten eagerly, 
these children were hungry. And halfway through the meal, the older girl was half done with hers, and she stood up, she picked up the plate, and she just walked out of the sidewalk cafe, down the sidewalk, and was gone. I'm a very calm person, so I did nothing. I looked at the other two children. They kept eating their spaghetti. About 10 minutes later, she returned with an empty plate. And I know to this day that she shared half of her meal with another sibling, or perhaps a parrot. A few moments passed, and all three children stood up. And the older girl came over to me and gave me a kiss on one cheek, the other cheek. Her sister came, did the same thing. The little brother approached, but he was way too shy for that. And then the three of them walked away and disappeared into the warm Brazilian night. But they've never disappeared from my heart. They continue to live in my heart. And I hope they will live in your hearts too. And that all of us will do our part to end world hunger, working faithfully and vigorously for a world of justice in which each and every child of God will have a full plate of rice or bread or spaghetti. Amen. As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, I invite you to pray as you are so moved to best support the prayers of this community. Please come to the altar rail or stand or raise your hands, however you are so called. Dearly beloved, let us pray. I will set the intention, and then I will say, Lord, in your mercy, if you would please respond, hear our prayer. Most holy unity, most holy trinity, we give thanks for this time with you and with one another to lift up the deep thoughts of our hearts. And so today we pray for our global community Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
We pray for the brokenness of our lives and the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those living in the midst of violence. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those living in poverty. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who build peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the courage to trust the validity of our experience. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the beauty and joy in our lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the call within from you who create in us wellsprings of hope. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is good to be together with God and with one another this bright and sunshiny day. We invite your attention to the bulletin for more opportunities for fellowship and community life, both as you hold it in your hands and as it is online through our website, www.bu.edu forward slash chapel. We also invite further communication through our email address, which is chapel at bu.edu.
Our National Preachers Series continues next week and the week after with husband and wife, Dr. Mark Baker and Chaplain Lynn Baker, who bring to us the riches of the Mennonite tradition as they are licensed ministers of the Mennonite Brethren Church. They also bring to us their experiences through an ongoing relationship and commitment with a church in Mexico. And so we look forward to their being with us for the next two weeks. We are all invited to coffee downstairs. There are also cool drinks and some nice things to eat, so we hope that you can join us downstairs in the Marsh Room immediately after the service. And now the ushers will wait upon us for our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings.
you are the source of all, we offer back these gifts to you in love, an action that we take as part of the change you call us to be in the world. In the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our hymn is number 578. seeds of earth and the seeds of heaven. Let us now go to the fields. And may God Almighty, Creator, Son, and Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you on your journeys and give you hope and peace, joy and justice. Amen. 